Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. My name's Michael Walsh. I am the host. This is the podcast. I'll grieve you with this. On today's episode, I had a really nice conversation with comedian Emily Walsh about some of her loss and the show that she's recently written about that. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. This is episode 24 with Emily Walsh. Emily Walsh, thanks for being on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I I appreciate your time. As with many of my recent guests, uh, you and I sort of know each other just through, you know, seeing each other through the comedy scene, but we're not like great acquaintances by any means. Um, I So before we dive into what this is going to be, do you mind telling me and the audience just sort of where you started doing comedy and sort of where you're at now and then... I mean, obviously, the conversation is going to be about, um, you know, your loss. I just read a brief synopsis and some reviews of the show that you have, Dad Girl. Um, Oh, great. But yeah, just for a little bit of context, do you want to just tell me and my audience sort of your comedy background? And then we'll we'll open up the, uh, the trauma. Totally, totally. Uh, yeah, I started here in New York City. I already lived here because I moved to New York uh, after college to pursue scenic art, which is what I did for a day job for a long time, which is painting scenery for TV and film. And uh, yeah, I started comedy at 30. So definitely a little later than a lot of people. And so it's been about seven years. And just this past summer, I took my show Dad Girl to Edinburgh, which is um half about whether or not me and my husband are going to have kids and and half about losing my dad as a kid. So it was kind of like, you know, what does your family look like and what do you want your family to look like? But stand up. So funny. So very funny. I promise. (laughs) Yeah, no, of course. Um, You may be the third or fourth guest I've had. That's just a comeback from Edinburgh. So oh, nice. uh, I had like Patrick Sussmelch and um, Eve Ellenbogen. But yeah, all so the dead people shows love that for you. It really seems to be a, a kind of a uh, a hub of grieving people for their performing arts. Yeah, um, it's wild because I don't think that Europeans do that nearly as much as Americans. But for some reason, we think that Edinburgh is where you go to process your trauma. It seems to be a good uh, a good place for it. So you, so far so good. Yeah, and, and you did it. You did this show like what twenty five times or something like that. 25 times, 25 days. Yeah. Just, or I guess 24, you have one day off in the middle. And, uh, so that is, that is definitely a wild thing. I think if it were, um, I think it's probably tougher for people whose loss is more recent because obviously I'm not like over anything by any means, but I lost my dad 26 years ago. So it's something that I obviously think about every day, but I'm not, currently processing that grief so it's it's a little bit easier but it is still hard to do a grief show 24 days in a row like it is it's a little nuts gotta be emotionally draining um even if it is funny uh yeah i i usually try to keep myself in the dark as to about what the details of the loss of my guest is so i can find out at the same time as my audience but i did read the review and and you did just tell me so when you were (laughs) 11 yes do you mind do you mind just giving me the um telling me about uh 
about yeah. losing your father and then, <laughs> and then the subsequent fallout for the rest of your life that you had to deal with it? Oh yeah. love it. Love that topic. Yeah. I was 11. He was 50, which at the time I thought was old, but now no, is not old at all. But when sure. you're a kid, you think everyone who's an adult is a thousand. Um, and he had had, he was not unhealthy, but we do have like a history of, of bad hearts in my family. And he had had a heart attack before. And then he died in the middle of a night of a stroke. So I woke up one day in the middle of the summer, came downstairs and found out that he had died. So it was, uh, not the best day, but, um, yeah. yeah, so it was, it was definitely a little wild and it, um, Obviously, there's just like no other way to say it. Like it just completely changes the shape of your life when you're when you're that young. But and I don't really get into it in the show, but I've been processing it differently lately where it's like you mourn the person. But if you lose somebody as a kid, you also mourn the loss of having that parent. And I think I've been like processing that lately um, in therapy and stuff and just kind of like. Like I, I started with a new therapist a couple of years ago and, and she kind of helped me realize it's like, okay to be sad and jealous of people with dads. Like I just kind of like spent my childhood being like, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm tough. Like it'll be, you know, and I, I have a joke about it in the show where I think 11 is older than it is. Like when I'm a teenager, I'm like, I, it's fine. I had a dad the first 11 years. Like I'll be, you know, I've been on an airplane once I've fucking seen everything, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's, Old it's just hat. not, yeah, it's not that. And so lately I've been like working through trying to like let myself grieve the fact that like, I didn't have a dad at my high school graduation. My dad didn't walk me down the aisle at my wedding, like all that sort of stuff that, that I didn't get to have and won't have. And, you know, that's not okay, but it is reality. And there are so many other people. I'm very lucky to have other people that have like taken the place of him in various ways, but it's, you're still allowed to like grieve the loss of that figure as well as the literal person. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure every uh, milestone in your life, both positive or negative, is probably colored by the fact that there's not a person for that. Yeah, for that. yeah. And there's like jokes about it uh, in the show as well, about how I also don't know what he thinks about my entire life. Like sure. he hasn't seen me grow up. He doesn't know like what I did. I'm like, maybe he hates comedy. Maybe he would have turned into a Fox News dad. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he'd he be on stormed, Reddit. Like, yeah, he would have stormed Capitol. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know where he was on January 6th. So it's kind of weird because you get to like idolize the person if you lose them early enough, but you also know that they don't know what you're doing either. And I, I, you get to, the joke is that you get to decide, like I ended the show by being like, I don't know how he feels about anything. So I'm glad you love the show, dad. And that was like the ending, Yeah. but it is true. You're just like walking through life being like, and I used to worry about it when I was a teenager, you know, I used to think, and when I was 11 and 12 and 13, I was still pretty Catholic. And I literally thought he was like watching me. Like, you're like, Oh, he's up there. He's paying attention. He's tuning into the Emily channel, you know, every day. And for a while that was like very important to me and concerning to me. And now I honestly don't know quite what I think about that, but I used to think he was literally just like watching my every move, you know? Sure. That's interesting. Yeah. I should mention we are not related, but we are both Walsh's. My my father's from a very Catholic background as well. Um, So not uncommon in the Walsh community. I don't think. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. Um, (laughs) Uh, dude, 
Well, you had, of course, 11 years is not in a developed human, but you had some memories, you know? Um, of course, yeah. Can you, can you tell me about uh, his sense of humor? Was he a, uh, a guy who could get silly, or do you have a any memories of him or like, just tell me what he was like, actually, if you don't mind. Yeah. 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 He, um, he had definitely a dad, very dad sense of humor. Like I remember when I was a kid, I always used to like climb on his lap or like hang on his back, you know, and he would be like, Oh, does it say jungle gym on my forehead? You know, that kind of stuff was very, or like, if you're like, Oh, I'm hungry. He'd be like, I'm Patrick. Nice to meet you. Like Very, very standard dad stuff. But he, I don't remember him making as many jokes as I remember him enjoying jokes. Like he, he had this like gigantic laugh that my, um, actually when he died, the funeral, the, the priest mentioned it. He, he compared him to, um, the little prince. I don't know if you've read that book or are familiar with that book, but yeah. Yeah. So the, basically the, the comparison he made was, was in a couple layers, but the biggest part for me was that, um, in the book, he says the little prince is dying and he's telling the pilot that meets this little prince, you know, I'm, I'm going to die. But when I'm gone, you'll hear my laughter when you look at the stars and you'll have stars like nobody else. So I actually I got that tattooed on my arm in my dad's handwriting. That's nice. But yeah, but he just had this gigantic laugh that would fill a room. And he he seemed to be a person that just like was genuinely enjoying himself like it didn't. I feel like some people like, you know, laugh along to get along or they're just being polite, but he seemed to really like get a kick out of things. And like, he was, he was definitely like a little, like not necessarily nerdy, but very earnest. Like there's a video, we rented a video camera for a Christmas one year. Cause that was what you did in 1991. You didn't sure. necessarily buy one and he's and narrating you rent, it. You would rent a VCR later so you could watch exactly, it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But he's like narrating the video being like, okay, let's go check in on Emily, see what she's doing, you know? And he's just like, he was just genuinely excited. Like there was no falseness to him in that way, which was really, you know, I don't feel that way about myself necessarily, but I think it's an admirable quality to like genuinely enjoy yourself. Yeah. Not enough people are able to laugh. Uh, it's a good quality. Yeah, Having for a big, sure. Loud laugh. And being it- comics, I feel like you like don't, you, I laugh less sometimes because I'm like in the back of the room analyzing sure. or, yeah. you know, you, you're laughing you kind your of head. Know how you the go, wow, that was a go. good joke actually. And you don't even yeah. physically react in any way. Exactly. Or you're like, huh, good one. You're like, just yeah. like, I want to acknowledge you, but I'm not genuinely yeah. laughing. Yeah. Later on, I'll tell you that I enjoyed it. I'm not going to laugh at the joke in real time, but no, but I'll tell you which part I liked later. Right. Uh, do you have siblings? I have a brother. I have one older brother. Yeah. So, um, yeah, did you guys lean on each other? Did you become closer after that or? Unfortunately, not really. No, he, he and my mom were really similar, uh, are really similar. And me and my dad were, were really similar. And we kind of grew up on one of those families where it was like, okay, dad and Emily are going to go do this. Mom and Andrew are going to go do that. And, and, uh, and he just dealt, we dealt with it really differently. He still unfortunately looks at it as something that like, the world did to us and was like this big wrongdoing. And, and I kind of look at it as a really shitty thing that happened that shouldn't determine the entire course of my life. And, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, call him out, but there just seems to be, he kind of treats himself a little more as a victim and, and hasn't been able to process it in the same way and has, you know, 
has, you know, we've had some arguments. He's only two years older than me, but he said things to me like, well, you didn't know dad like I did. And it's like, that's okay. Really? You know, that's yeah. 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 It's hurtful and it's not true. So unfortunately, once you hit the age of 12, it's when you start actually keeping memories. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You used a goldfish prior to that. Exactly. I was like, I am not even going to dignify that with any kind of response, but yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. People, uh, you know, process things in different ways when you were you mentioned therapy did you have any access to that type of stuff as a as a youth this is much later. no no unfortunately i i mean again i don't want to just keep pulling things from the show but i do have a joke about it where it's just like kids didn't go to therapy in the 90s where i grew up unless they like lit another kid on fire like it wasn't <laughs> yeah it just like wasn't a thing you Nobody... had to do physical damage to a property yes and it was like an alternative attention. to juvie like it wasn't like right. oh you we should and i i my mom told me recently that she actually did do some therapy when she lost my my dad and the therapist might have been the worst therapist of all time and told her not to worry because most women under 50 who lose a husband remarry. Oh, good. Which that is, was probably her biggest right. concern. Yeah. Yeah. So helpful. Her, her so most helpful. immediate uh, worry. Yeah. Losing her husband suddenly and father for children. Oh, you yeah. don't worry. There'll be another man. Yeah, but no, uh, there's tons of men. There's a real overpopulation yeah. problem. Another one will come down. Exactly. Exactly. So unfortunately, no. And we, you know, we, I grew up in that kind of Irish Catholic family where you just say like, he's in a better place, like move on, keep going. And so it's definitely, I think part of the reason I wrote the show this late, quote unquote, or this much later is that I am currently processing some of it. Like I just started therapy two years ago and I'm still, I I started therapy about some other stuff and was like, well, no, that's done that I'm good on. And my therapist was like, not at all. And then she like (laughs) watched the show before I left. And she was like, Hey, I have some more stuff we need to talk about. Like before you, like when you get back. And I was like, are you getting production notes from your therapist? Oh, a hundred percent. She was like, you have never told me X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. They're just silly jokes. Like I, when I was a kid, I thought that I sent my dad to purgatory. I thought I was the reason he went to purgatory, which wow, you really were Catholic, huh? (laughs) Oh, so, Oh, unbelievably catholic i went to infant jesus elementary school i was an altar server i was so catholic and the day that he died he died on a sunday night i convinced him to skip church that day that's like i was like oh died. yeah exactly yeah, and so why you're... he didn't go to heaven so that's definitely my fault and uh i thought that for a few months and nobody would uh just nobody knew that i guess or nobody was paying um, attention so yeah there was a lot of stuff wrapped up in that that i'm still trying to work through unfortunately yeah there's a lot of guilt woven into the fabric of that (laughs) that. um well it's good that at at least now you're at a place where you are self-analyzing and uh that is funny about your therapist yeah you probably feel more comfortable saying some things on stage to a crowd full of half-lit faces that you can't quite see a hundred percent and then you also have the control of going next joke uh, exactly. We're not going to explore that any further. I'm not taking any responses or comments. I'm just plowing through information, and uh, I'm in charge. I have a microphone. Thanks so much. Yeah, wild. How was your? How did your mother react? How was her grieving? You said she. You now found out that she did some therapy, but it's got to be tough to. 
Yeah, she yeah. actually did end up getting remarried. And in my oh, bear now, <laughs> did her therapist yeah, right? hook them up? He's like, yeah, right? here's a referral. No, she, oh, this story. I'm really glad they got divorced, but uh, they met in a widow and widower's chat room because okay. it was 1998 and that is how things work. And they remarried. And looking back on it as an adult, I really think she did it out of like confusion and not knowing how to like pay for her family. Like, I think it was just kind of like, oh, this seems like a solution. So I will do this. And we, oh, I hated this dude. And I know that like 30% of it was that it was like, you're not my new dad, like, fuck you. But I do think 70% of it was rooted in very reasonable uh, reasons to not like this dude. And uh, so we moved, we moved to Massachusetts from New Hampshire to live where this guy lived. And we were there for like three years. And then uh, I've never talked about any of this on a podcast before, but this is a grief podcast. My grandmother died. My mom's mom died. They got in a fight that day and he threw us out of the house the day my grandmother died. So, wow. Yeah. 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 So that was a, that was a wild irreconcilable difference (laughs) (laughs) for sure. Actually, I shouldn't say divorce. They did. They were able to get annulled, which is something my mom was really, it was important to her. Sure. It was annulled. Uh, not doesn't have an X in heaven. Uh, No. Yeah. He will not be (laughs) on her radar. Apparently she doesn't have to see him when she gets up there. So, wow. That's that's good. uh, That's a pretty fucking crazy thing to do on the day. Someone loses their mother. Yeah, not great. Not great. I remember walking. Uh, my friend was visiting, thankfully, and we went on a walk because we just needed to get out of the house because they were having this argument. And we were walking around the block. And every time we passed, he would throw more of our shit on the lawn. And I just like my friend was like, was handled it as well as he could. He's like, let's keep going. We're just going around. We're not looking at that. We're going to just keep walking because I was like 15. Like it was huh. not something that, like that a, I could almost process. Like a call the police situation. Probably should have. Yeah, probably should have done something uh, other than keep it walking. It was the 90s. Nay, what are you going to do? Yeah. I was 15, you know. We're doing our best out here. Yeah. Um. So you have channeled this into a show now. Yeah. And you did it in New York a few times. When did you start writing it and when did you first debut it? I debuted it a month before I went to Edinburgh and I started, it's kind of tough to say, I decided it would be a show in like December, January of last year. Cause some of the jokes in it are jokes I've been telling for a while. Cause when I first, first started doing comedy, one of the first jokes I ever wrote was a joke about my dad. And it was a very quick joke that I still do sometimes that was just uh, me and my dad. We don't have an ideal relationship. He's kind of dead to me. He's actually dead to you too. He's dead. Nice. And that was the whole joke. Yeah, no, and I good. didn't, you know, I didn't like get into it. I wasn't like going into these big topics, but I, you know, had that joke and, And so half the show was stuff that I was doing before, but then the other half I started writing in January because I, I had enough conversations with people about solo shows and I had seen enough solo shows that I was like, this would be a way for me to do all these jokes that I can't really do at somebody's date night. Like I had written some jokes about the purgatory stuff about like growing up without a dad and and you could sometimes pepper them in into the right audience in Brooklyn or, you know, the right show on a Tuesday, but they're really not fun bits for people. They can't meet you and laugh about it three minutes later. Like they kind of have to get to know you. And Mm -hmm. I have found for me, 
I have to make the audience feel really safe before I can tell them any of this stuff or else they'll be like, are you good? Like, or should we laugh? Like I have to yeah, no, show them. Yeah. Like that's I'm a theme okay. That I'm I've an adult. Heard, heard people say in past interviews, you, you really do have to make the people comfortable because even yeah. not even if it's a, a, a trauma or like a, a vulnerable type of thing, even in comedy, you see someone on stage who's uncomfortable. You're like, mm, I don't want to be here because they don't know what they're board. doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, my whole thing with the show is I never wanted to dig a hole deeper than what I could climb out of. Like, and I was just making sure that in the end of the show, they were like, okay, this is a person who I at least knows going to therapy. And like, because my show is also about, uh, about my husband and about how we, I never thought I would like be in this like healthy relationship that I'm in and, you know, doing the show in Edinburgh, he was there the whole month because of the writer strike he didn't have work anyway so he was like i'll just come out and you know he's running the light board he's flyering for me so people were seeing like oh she's okay she has this other person like she's yeah. not like alone over here just like waving a flag about her trauma so i think that there were a lot of things in place to make people feel okay to laugh at some of these jokes and and some of these stories yeah um do you want to tell me about that that aspect of the show? It's about your dad, but also about uh, the idea of becoming a parent and whether or not you you want to or something about that. Yeah, yeah. Mostly like the the concept of that half of the show is like, is it something I even want to do or is it something that I just am feeling like I'm supposed to be doing or like, you know, you, you get to a certain age, I got married and also just getting married. When you get married, the second you're married, I feel like people are like, okay, where's the baby like that? Mm. And we dated for seven years. So I was like, nobody's worried about us anymore. Like I kind of thought I had bypassed that whole thing. Cause I was like, when we were like two, three years in, we started getting that pressure from our families. But when it was clear that we were like, committed like i remember having a conversation with my mom and just being like he's not going anywhere like we're not married but like don't worry about it yeah, like yeah. we own a car we have a dog we live together like don't Solid worry about ground. it exactly and um but we got married two years ago and and then it kind of just kicked up out of nowhere people just kind of talking about it and then you know getting into this feeling of in your late 30s as a woman being like well if i'm gonna do it i have to do it now so do I want to? And I, I honestly did not grow up thinking, well, my kids will do this or in my twenties, I was never like, Oh my God, I got to find a man to have a baby. Like I just never, that was never my thought process. So it it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of serious. I truly did not think about any of this until I was like 36, like in a real way. And Danny does, my husband does, you know, he does want to have kids and he is a very wholesome person. And that's, that's some of the jokes as well is just that he's this like very wholesome, smiley, positive, optimistic person. And I am this like sarcastic nihilist who's like, I don't know, like, should we do that? I don't, I'm not sure. And uh, yeah. And it, it, it was interesting because in my head, especially pitching to other comics. Like if people are like, what's your show about? I feel like you, you break it down in the simplest terms and people would be like, what is it about? I'd say, you know, whether or not we're going to have kids and some dead dad shit. And they'd be like, great. I know exactly what that is, but I was over there and another comic and storyteller, uh, Brian Berlin saw the show and he was like, I really think this show is about like you finding a relationship you never thought you'd be in and figuring out what it's like to be, in that relationship and what you want to be as a partner and how your partnership is going to work. And I thought that that was like a really nice 
way to look at it and and accurate as well it is it is you know complimenting him because when i first started doing comedy we were already living together like i've never done comedy single i've never dated and and been doing comedy at the same time and i would talk about him on stage but i never wanted to be mean it was never fun for me to be like this fucking guy like that just wasn't my style i don't i don't particularly like that kind of humor i'm always kind of like if you're with this person why don't you like them like why <laughs> why marry them or why date Take my them? husband so, please Exactly. I just never, I never got into it. And so I'd always been writing these flattering jokes about him. And when I stacked them all up, I'm like, oh, that's about 20 minutes of material about how he is much kinder than I am. And, you know, whether or not that's actually true, or if it's just for show, you know, it is, it's part of, it's definitely part of the show for sure. Yeah. And that's, uh, sounds like a good way to process it, uh, by doing it 25, 25 times. Oh, yeah. Does the show evolve or is it kind of, uh, do you ever ad lib or do you ever find yourself being like, oh, I, here's this thing I hadn't thought about that I could add to this? Or I did add, I added some one liners and I cut out a couple of really short stories because they just were not getting a humorous response. I, I could see the humor in it, but it was not it wasn't hitting enough times and the show was, was full enough that I was like, I don't need to keep this in for, for just me, but mostly I just added a couple one-liners and like, um, and I stopped trying to like, I think I've heard this from a lot of people and I experienced this myself that a lot of UK audiences in a show like that are a little quieter. And then they'll come up to you afterwards and be like, that was amazing. Like, I really enjoyed that. And it's like, well, I would have loved it if you enjoyed it with your mouth <laughs> yeah. like during the show. Yeah. Like how stand-up comedy works traditionally. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But something my husband kept saying to me, and and I, I am processing now that I'm back in New York doing stand-up again in and not talking about my dad and, and all this stuff is that something I really gained from being over there and gained from doing the show is finding strength in silent moments and like letting there be a beat because I am, I am very guilty of this and it's, I hate when comics do this, but I do it. So it is what it is where I'm like, Oh, you didn't like that one. Or like, Oh, this isn't for you. You know, or like, if you don't like that joke, it's going to be rough or whatever, you know, that kind of yeah, commentary. Yeah. Oh, you don't like mortality. Exactly. <laughs> like when you exactly. just make the, it's like a like template you came here you, can, you chose yeah. this yeah. yeah yeah so i i really worked at not doing that anymore and by the end of the run i wasn't i was just letting everything lie and letting everything stand for itself and i was getting such a better response and i think it's that kind of confidence thing too of being like i know this is a good show whether or not you're like outwardly giant laughing every moment is not indicative of the quality of the whole product. And I think that it really has helped me doing just silly jokes too. Now, just being like, I'm going to let it there, take a beat. Like I'm going to let there be silence and I'm not going to panic about that silence. And then I'm going to pick up with the next thing. Cause I think, you know, it's partially my style. It's partially insecurity and it's partially New York standup where you're like, I've got seven minutes. Like I got mm -hmm. to like make an impression, you know, right. but I'm like, there's power in qu being quiet for a second. And I, I feel like I definitely figured that out along the way with that show. Yeah. Sounds like it helped you as a performer. For sure. Um, for sure. Do you have plans to continue to do this or uh, maybe record it at some point? 
I I feel like I should, and a lot of people um, have asked me about it. I did do it at Caveat right before I left, and I I may try to do it there again because they do a really good job of recording it. They've got like multiple 4K cameras, and they do angles, and it's um, it's pretty great. Um, as far as the setup, but I unfortunately did not make that plan. Like a lot of people, I feel like booked that show. They're doing it this month. Like people that came back from Edinburgh, they're doing it in September and they had that plan all along and I should have scheduled it before I left. But now I'm in this headspace of like, I don't really want to do that. I want to take some space Mm. from it. And I I'm taking some space from the material. Like I'm not really doing any of it on stage right now. And I, I think so, but I think what's more likely is that I'm going to take like two thirds of the show or maybe a third of the show and have it evolve into something else that is a little more true to what I'm trying to say now. Cause I feel like by the time I got to the end of the run, like my last two shows, I had really great audiences. I had a really good time doing it, but I did have this finality to it in my mind of like, I'm kind of done with a few of these jokes. Like I, cause some of them I've been doing for five, six years and I'm like, I don't, I'm tired of it. I'm bored. And you know, maybe in a month or two, I'll feel differently and say, well, I should just record it. And, and I probably will end up recording it just to cut it up and do clips, which is annoying and the way the world works, but you know, yeah, but you, I don't you want to any... reduce your show about vulnerability to a TikTok reel. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. sorry, you have to. You have to. Yeah, and and we'll see. I might try to do some small theaters in like a couple other cities just to to see what it's like in America because I I did it in New York a couple times, but it was for fifty percent people I knew. You know, I kind of would like to see what like a, an American audience that I don't know feels about it, but you know, we'll see. I'm definitely open to it, but at this exact moment, I'm taking a little, little pause from it. Yeah. It sounds like you almost like a immersion therapy. I mean, you did the show every day for a month. Yeah. Sounds like it helped your relationship. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was Uh, definitely an intense month, but I like the third day, I remember I was like trying to, to journal while I was over there. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to help my career, but it is helping my marriage. Like we're having a lot of conversations about how to like live in a dorm room together and make this show every day. And, and, you know, yeah, he definitely gets a gold star for that. Good. I'm glad you have each other. Sounds like, I mean, the, the material is so immediate and personal that, um, I could see wanting to maybe separate uh, art from the the real life stuff for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just need to write some jokes about like pizza and taking the bus and like sure. not anything that's too heavy for a second. Just have some, I was doing like this weekend, I did like three shows in one night and I kept trying this joke about rewatching the movie Titanic that I think is very funny, but just like was getting very mixed results, but I was having such a good time just talking about anything else on stage and like doing some like loose crowd work and just being like, this doesn't need to be my like opus. Like this doesn't need to be this big dramatic solo thing. This can just be a silly 10 minutes and then I can move on. Not every performance needs to be autobiographical. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Sometimes you can just do silly bits. Well, that's good. I, uh, yeah, it's inspiring. It's cool to put all your thoughts into a, a place where it can be 
presented. And then I guess it's a mirror for your own thoughts because you're like, oh, well, why did I write this show? Why didn't I tell these things to my therapist? Exactly. Exactly. Um, And why did I lay it out this way? And why are these the most important beats? Like if I only have an hour to talk about any of this, why are these the things I chose to bring up for sure? Well, it's the type of show you can only do if you are uh, self-aware and able to sort of explore for sure um one of the questions i usually ask not to bring it back to your childhood but after your father passed do you remember the first time that you laughed or was there ever like a moment of levity in the weeks that followed or before or did anyone say anything to you that was supposed to be comforting but it was like the opposite Ooh, okay so there's I definitely remember people not being particularly helpful, not really knowing what to say, but my, so I have a ton of cousins and they are all um, like 10 to 15 years older than me. Uh, the, The next youngest is like six years older than me. So they were always like the coolest people to me in the world, because when I was a kid, they were teenagers and in their twenties. And so they all came up for the funeral. And I, the day after the first two days after he passed, I had a, like a stomach bug. And I, I think that I used to process emotion as a kid. Like if I was really, really, really upset about something, I would throw up. And so I like spent a day and a half, two days throwing up. And then my cousins came and there must've been some conversation I missed of, of like, have them take the kids out of the house for the afternoon. Like we'll figure out, you know, my uncles and my mom will figure out the the funeral and stuff. And so they, we went to the pool at their hotel and we like stayed up late and we, you know, had, had junk food and we were like jumping in the pool. And I don't remember exactly what my cousin Katie said, but I remember her like really make the doing work to make me feel like a normal person. And that it was like very, helpful. And I don't know that I like laughed, but I know that I smiled. I know that I had fun. I know that I was like happy to be with them because I was young enough that you could separate it for a second and just be like, these are the cool, like, these are my cousins. My cousins are here. Like, this is, you know, this is great. And so they definitely like brought a little bit of lightness to that first like week of, of the whole situation for sure. Yeah. It's got to be tough as a kid. I'm my condolences. I don't know if I told you, but obviously, of course, of it's course. implied. Yeah, it is. It is a different. It's just a different thing. I feel like I I have so many friends now that are processing death as an adult, and I'm I I haven't lost anyone in a few years, and I think it will be different because when I was a kid, it was like rapid fire. It was like my dad and my grandparents and just a bunch of people all at once, and now, you know, I haven't had to process anybody for a while that I'd known for a long time. And I'm trying to be helpful to people that are now joining the dead dad club, but it is such a different thing because they've had a lifetime of memories. And, and it's, again, it's kind of me mourning the person, but also the loss of that role, as opposed to like this person was, I was really close to for my entire life and now they're gone and I'm trying to deal with that. No, totally. And that probably has interplays into why you hadn't really considered, uh, having a stable relationship or a family when you didn't really from age 11, you didn't have that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Eve Ellen Bogan said a similar thing. She lost her mother when she was seven. Now she's part of like grief support groups, but she's meeting people that are like, uh, you know, I'm 65 and my, my mother died last year. 
And then she's meeting other people who are like, I'm 50 and my mother's been dead for the last 35 years. And what exactly. a different, what a different type of grief and a grief for like yeah. what, what could have been, it would never, you know, just lost, you know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you get it. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know. It's, it's different for everybody. And now I'm in a phase where I'm trying to get as much information about my dad out of the people that are still around before I lose them too. Like his brothers were 10 years older than him, 10 and seven years older than him. So they're in their mid eighties now. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you, what do you got? You got some pictures, sure. you got some stories. Can you yeah. remind me of some stuff? And, and so I'm on like a new journey that is obviously emotional, but a little more like detective-y. And I'm kind of just trying to compile like data and, and try to see if there's, if there are any photos I haven't seen, if there are any like fun anecdotes I haven't heard because, you know, you lose the pieces of the puzzle and then you can't really ever get that back. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going through a similar thing. Uh, I'm going through like my dad's papers and stuff, but like, I don't really know anything about my dad prior to him becoming a father. And uh, the character witnesses, that's probably not the word for it. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the surviving friends and family members of his are becoming fewer and fewer. He was the youngest, yeah. second youngest of nine, and he died at age 70 four years ago. So, um, wow. So, the people that I can talk to about it, part of me is like, I have their email, I have their phone number. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it sometime. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. And it's also like, what do they remember? Like, I was asking my uncle something, and he was like, Oh, wow. Well, it's been about, you know, 30 years since that happened. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. If you think of something, give me a call. Like, I'm not going to harass you. This isn't an interrogation. Like, I'm just trying to kind of make it very obvious that, like, if you have any information, I'd love to know about it. And if not, it is what it is like. And I, I actually started doing something that I, this is a weird recommendation, but I feel like I've already been darker than a lot of your other episodes already. So here we go. I, uh, I never know what to do on like the anniversary of my dad's death. So I started doing a new thing where I keep a notebook and I try to take like an hour and write down any memories I have at all. And every year I kind of come up with a few different ones and it's just like a nice thing to have to be like, these are all in there somewhere because you also, if you sit down and really like openly journal about it, you remember stuff that you didn't even know was in there. And so it's just kind of like a nice way to kind of think about them and, and, uh, and try to compile some of that stuff. So if you do forget again, it's, it's written down. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, it's good to hold on to the memories and also like, it's good to set aside a bit of time to think about it because the fact my dad's, you know, him being dead is something that's just a part of my everyday day-to-day existence, but it's very seldom that I sit down and think, Oh, I remember what his laugh sounded like. Oh, remember this stuff. It's not like that's the thing I can, I can do. I mean, of course I can, but it, I usually, you know, that involves putting my, my brain in a space. I usually go for a walk maybe just like sort of, it's not, you know, I'm not the most uh, meditative type of person, but it's always there. <laughs> yeah, for no sure. Um, for sure. But, you know, if you try to set deliberate time, you maybe process it in a slightly different way. But most of the time, you're just walking through life being like, oh, yep, can't call him anymore. Can't, right. you know, can't ask him that question. Can't get this advice, you know, yep. whatever that is. Yep, totally. Freaking, I'll be at Trader Joe's in uh, 
like Neil Young will come on and I'll be like, oh, he, oh, this is the one. And now where I work, and this is tangential, where I work, they just have a playlist that has like an updated Harvest Moon. It's like a oh, gasified. No. It's like, mm, 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 mm. and I'm like, God damn it. This sort of reminds me of my dad, but it's also sort of makes me mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really dredging up a lot of emotions. He plays like once a Funny. day. Um, Ugh, of course, corporate playlists are not great. Right. You couldn't clear the, the original Neil Young. <laughs> Didn't want to um, pay for that one. Well, um, I appreciate you sharing your stuff with me. Is there anything you want to, what was your father's name? Uh, Patrick. Patrick Walsh. Patrick solid, Walsh. Good, solid Irish solid name. Irish name. Yeah, that's that's yep. my uncle also. <laughs> exactly. Know. Exactly. We all know a Patrick Walsh somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, rest in peace. I'm sorry that you uh, had to deal your life without him. And uh, I'm glad you're at an emotional place where you're able to turn it into his comedy. Um, oh, yeah. That's important. That's the yeah. most important thing. So I mean, can... material is what it's all about. Yeah, content. So, you know. Get those clicks. <laughs> that <laughs> is my first dead dad joke on Twi on TikTok is my most favorited joke. I will say that. That is the one where I put it up like over a year ago and almost every day I get like one person liking it or favoring it. Like it's still making the rounds. So, okay, you nice. know, if yeah, people yeah, yeah. relate, they really relate. I think that's what it is. That is very true. Um. And I've said it before, but everybody's got something that they're carrying around, but no, there's not usually a forum for people to be like, and interestingly enough, now that I've started this podcast, people that don't even do comedy are reaching out to me uh, to ask me to do this. And I'm like, I'm not actually qualified. This is just a, a thought <laughs> experiment for myself and mostly so I can get free therapy in the form of a conversation yeah, with other comics. Yeah. Well, it's a great name. I love a pun. So. Oh, thank you. I, I had so <laughs> many other ones that I, uh, I almost did sad nauseum. Good grief was going to be the first one. All of these things. Turns out everything I've ever thought of already exists as a podcast, <laughs> um, including grief as a podcast. Like I'm not even the only comedy one I, I learned. And it was funny because when I came up with it and I realized other people had explored this, I was like, oh man, that was going to be my thing. And I was like, wait a minute. Everybody's <laughs> fucking sad. Everybody has something. There's yeah. enough for it to go around. For sure. There's enough perspectives. We can all be sad. There's enough room at the table. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty to go around. Um, let's do some plugs. Do you, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, uh, you can follow me everywhere at the funny Walsh. I do have some dead dad jokes out there. If you're into that, I also joke about a lot of other things. Um, and then I have two podcasts. If you're a podcast listener, um, one of them is called alone at lunch. And we talk to comedians about a time they felt like the odd one out. And there's about three years of that pod. So if you chances are, if you like a comic, you might be able to find them. And then my other podcast, I actually do with my husband and it is called yeet the rich. And we talk about a different billionaire each week and the things that they think they do for society and what they've actually done to society. So if you oh. are a, anti-billionaire person uh that is also a fun one it's it is educational but we describe it as like i a drunk person who read a book tells you about it at a party kind of thing like it's okay. it's uh it's informational but it's it's light 
it's uh it's fun that's and a solid been, pun yeet the rich yeah it nice. started we went we worked pun backwards that that pun happens and actually my husband thought of it and he's not a comic he's not an entertainer or performer but he thought of it and then we talked about what the podcast would be but it was one of those like we're just out of the bar joking with people and then a couple of days later i was like hey do you want to make a podcast because i'm going to do this with or without you like i think this is a a solid idea and he thought about it for like a week and he was like okay let's do it and now he is uh enjoying doing the pod so yeah nice. check those out follow me places listen to the podcasts and uh you know call your dad i guess if you have one yeah solid advice call your mom too call it call the people that you call, love call them call, call them the people up. that Send you a love text. something's gonna happen to all of us um <laughs> uplifting i i feel like i've been very uplifting today so you're welcome everybody (laughs) hey i'm 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 uplifted uh wonderful patrick walsh rest in peace emily walsh thanks so much for doing the podcast i appreciate your time yeah for sure thank you um, thank you again for having me yeah of course be well hope to see you soon somewhere around the streets of brooklyn 100 percent. yeah all right thanks so much bye take care So that was episode 24. I want to thank Emily Walsh for sharing her story. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's been listening. You know, keep doing that. Tell your friends about it. More episodes coming in the near future. Uh, follow us on Instagram at I'll Grieve You With This Podcast. And uh, yeah, call someone that you love. Goodbye. <laughs>